If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Psalm 27, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are eternally grateful for salvation, for the cross, for the resurrection. We are thankful, Lord, for the blood, for your forgiveness. Thankful, Lord, for the promises of God. Thankful that we have the opportunity to worship and to lift up your name. This is the Thanksgiving season, and so we celebrate you with hearts of thanksgiving, knowing that we are redeemed and we belong to you. And so now we pray as we jump into the word of God here today that you would encourage our hearts, open our understanding, and may we walk in the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. Psalm 27, I'm going to read the entire psalm, 14 verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over into the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The message I want to share with you this morning is entitled, A Culture of Fear. Um, as we enter into this Thanksgiving season, this is not your typical Thanksgiving message, but I believe that one of the reasons why it is hard for us to be thankful people is because of the reality of fear um, and the culture that we live in. It's hard to be thankful when you're afraid. How many of you will admit to that? It's hard to be full of faith and full of joy when you're full of fear. As, as David said here, he's like, I, I want to go to the temple and, and offer sacrifices of joy. But it's hard for us to give sacrifices of joy when there's fear in our hearts. It's hard to lift our hands in confidence and say, God, I, I believe for it when we are surrounded by constant fear. Now, we all know that fear is a very common reality, and to be honest, let's all be honest, there are times that fear can be a good thing, because fear tells us, at times, that something's not right. Um, fear can tell us, hey, maybe you shouldn't step off that ledge, right? Maybe you shouldn't go in this direction, because it's, it's telling us, you know, we, we want our kids at sometimes to have a healthy fear of, of certain things. We don't you know, we don't want our kids playing in the middle of McCorkle Avenue, right? We want them to understand the seriousness of situations. So sometimes fear can be healthy, but 
Our fear, our world seems to be one that perpetuates and is overrun with fear. How many of you can agree to that? We seem to perpetuate this idea of, of fear. According to the American Psychiatric Association, phobias are the most common psychiatric illness among women and the second most common among men. And it's probably only the second most common among men because men aren't afraid, right? I ain't scared of nothing. I'm a man, right? There are a bunch of common phobias, and some of them include glossophobia. Does anybody know what glossophobia is? It's the fear of public speaking. How about thanatophobia? It's the fear of death. So there are people who are actually more afraid of speaking in front of people than they are dying. Some people would rather die than speak in front of people. Acrophobia. Anybody know what that is? Fear of heights. Very good. Claustrophobia. We've all heard of that. Fear of enclosed spaces, places. Um, Aerophobia is the fear of flying. Arachnophobia. Anybody have that one? Fear of spiders. Okay. Agoraphobia is the fear of open spaces or the fear of unsafe environments. So a lot of people who have agoraphobia are afraid to even leave their homes because they're afraid of what they might run into when they get out there. Mysophobia. This one was really promoted during COVID. It was the fear of germs. Any germaphobes in here? Germaphobes? Okay. God bless you. We're praying for you. Ophia diaphobia. That's actually the fear of snakes. Fear of snakes. <coughs> now, this is the last one I want to share with you, and I don't know how to pronounce it, <coughs> but there it is. It's a hippopotamostrosis Does anybody, <coughs> can anybody interpret that? Is that a, that's a spiritual gift. It takes a spiritual gift to read that word. Does anybody know what that fear is? <coughs> fear of what? Hippos, it looks like it, yeah. It's got monsters in there too. It looks like equipment. Maybe you're afraid of equipment. I don't know. Believe it or not, it's the fear of long words. I'm not lying. If any of you have that fear right now, you're probably sweat. your palms are sweating at this very moment, right? That word is scaring the living daylights out of you. The fear of long words. Who has that fear? Fear of long words. All right. So we know that phobias uh, are normally different, obviously, than a normal fear because phobias are either they're consistent, they're excessive, and most of the time they're irrational. Obviously, being afraid of long words, it, it seems like a strange thing to be afraid of. It, really, being afraid of spiders is not really rational. I mean, I know that there are some venomous spiders, but there's only two in our area, right? Black widows and brown recluses. And so we recognize that most spiders are harmless and, and, and can't hurt us. Same way with snakes, they can't hurt us. But there's something about these types of fears that have been ingrained to us uh, over the years that, that might be irrational or, or cause us to act in a certain way. But the sheer number of them shows how prevalent fear can play a role in our psychological makeup. There are hundreds of different types of phobias uh, that, that somebody can have 
that will control our lives and control how we think. And, and because of that, it keeps us from truly living in joy, keeps us from truly being able to be thankful for what God has done for us. And if we're honest, there are a lot of things to be afraid of in this world. Uh, we live in some very unstable and chaotic times. The war- world is full of bad actors, bad intentions, bad moments. Our world is a dangerous and sometimes very scary place. North Korea just fired a missile the other day into the sea near Japan and supposedly it has a range of 9,000 miles. And when you've got someone that's as, as crazy and a nutbag as, as Kim Jong-un, you recognize we live in a very unstable, chaotic world. Wars are happening all over the place. Gas costs so much money that you actually have to pray before you go get it. Right? Our 401ks have fallen apart. You know, uh, inflation is out of control. There's wars and rumors of wars. And so we recognize there are a lot of things to be afraid of in this world. I get it. I completely understand. There's a lot of reasons for us to be anxious and wringing our hands and staying up at night. We live in a very dangerous world. And I'll be honest with you, religion itself can even perpetuate fear. Religion itself can perpetuate fear. I've noticed that every election cycle, there's a prophet that comes out and tells us that if we elect the wrong person, the United States will literally turn into hell. Have you ever noticed that? Every single election cycle, prophet so-and-so shows up to tell us either vote for this person because if you don't, we are all going to die tomorrow. Right? Every time the moon is an odd color, we're told to run for the hills because the wrath of God is about to fall. You ever notice that? Every time somebody goes outside and the moon is not what it's supposed to look like, we all go down to our dungeon where we've got our beanie weenies all stacked up for the end of the world because we think the wrath of God's about to be poured out. (laughs) And I get it. I'm not against prophecy. I'm not against... I, I do recognize that elections have consequences. Elections have results, right? And there are certain aspects about the truth of Scripture and the nature of God that can inspire fear. I I get it. The the concept of the judgment of God, the the concept of eternity itself can be a fearful thing. Jesus himself even said, don't fear man who can only destroy your body, but fear God who can throw both body and soul into hell. I I, I recognize that there's a certain level of inspiration of, of fear that happens, but the fear that comes from true Scripture preaching and true scripture truth is supposed to inspire in us a respect and an awe of God, not a paralyzing fear that keeps us from being able to function or operate. It's so that we can have a true reality of who God is, and it's not meant to create damage in us, but to help us recognize the reality of the greatness and the goodness of God. But I do believe that it seems like our politicians have learned the best how to stoke fears for political power and influence. It's always been a common practice, but it seems like it's intensified in our current culture. There have always been differences in opinions, differences between platforms and political parties, but we seem to be a place in our society right now where the divisions have become enormous. Has anybody else noticed it, or am I the only one? And it's not that the divide is just so wide, it's that the rhetoric continues to exacerbate it continues to expand it. It's not just that there's such a huge division between Democrats and Republicans, but the rhetoric now has just energized this ability to continue to divide us. 
today, whatever side of the political aisle you're on, the other side is not just wrong. The other side is evil. The other side should be feared, right? If you don't agree with me, it's not just that we can have a debate about it. If you don't agree with me, you're of the devil, right? I should avoid you. I should stay away from you. You're a maniac. One of the main concerns during this recent midterm election was the fear of losing our democracy. Losing our democracy. Did you hear all the rhetoric before the election started? If you don't vote for me, democracy dies tomorrow. Really? Democracy dies tomorrow. Okay. All right. And I know, you know, with all the talk about votes being stolen or votes, votes being suppressed or, or people being intimidated, sometimes it's even discouraging to go vote, right? We're afraid to go vote because my vote might get lost or somebody might steal it or, or somebody might change it or whatever. There's constant fear in every side. They'll tell us that if we don't elect this, to po- this party, our, doc- our democracy ceases to exist. And both sides magnify these fears by painting their opponents as extreme and dangerous. And here's what's funny. They even do this during the primaries when they're talking about the same people in their own party. You ever notice that? During the primaries, they just destroy each other. And then they pick them to be their vice president. During the primaries, I mean, if you remember... If you remember, Kamala Harris basically said Joe Biden was a racist. And then Joe Biden makes Kamala Harris her vice president. And I'm not just saying that it happens on the Democrat side. It happens all the time. You'll see a Republican just talk about how bad this guy is, how bad this woman is. They can't even tie their shoe. And the next thing you know, they're the secretary of state. <laughs> Honestly, sometimes they are right. There are a bunch of goofballs out there that are running for, po- for political parties. I-, I get it. There are a lot of people out there. Unfortunately, in our political situation, we don't always pick the best candidates on either side. We don't pick the best candidate, and then, then you're stuck with who am I going to vote for? Dumb, dumb, or dumb and dumber? Who am I voting for? <laughs> My, and And... And, and they will lie straight to your face, right? Or they drink the, the party Kool-Aid. They can't even stand on their own two feet, can't make their own decision, they can't stand. But we consistently use these over-exaggerated fears to motivate people. And folks, when you're motivated by fear, it never leads to good things. Even in, some of you have probably had work environments that you've been around where your bosses or your supervisors, they lead by fear. And anytime you lead by fear, all you do is create a place where people are afraid to even be creative. They're afraid to move outside the box. They're afraid to use their gifts for anything because if they don't do it the way they, their boss expects it to be done, they might lose their job or something worse might happen. If I stand for my principles, if I stand for what I believe in, I might get fired. And so you live in this aspect of fear. You can't lead by fear. Right? I mean, you can lead by fear, but you're not going to success- successfully do so. By extension of this, we are being attacked by fear mongers to keep our voices quiet if it doesn't fit the narrative of our current culture. 
free speech is coming under, under attack in a lot of ways because words have now become harmful and dangerous. You said a word and I almost died. We've created safe places. You can stand over here in this corner and no one will bother you. This is your room. This is your building. This is your area. Nobody can come in and say anything that disagrees with you. This is your safe place. We've defined certain windows of conversation that are allowed to take place. You're, they, they call it the Overton window, where you, there's a certain area in which uh, discourse is allowed to take place. And if you go outside that window, well, then there's something wrong with you. You need to be stopped. You need to be dismissed. So what we are doing is we're literally creating a society that can no longer have debates because we're too psychologically fragile to hear something different than what is outside of our comfort zone. We're afraid to hear anything that might challenge our way of thinking. And it even happens in the church because preachers and pastors and evangelists are afraid many times to preach the truth because we don't want anybody to leave. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want to push anybody to, the, to an extent where, where their fragile psychological issues might fall apart. I didn't come to church to have my feelings hurt. <laughs> and I get it. I mean, I also believe that there are preachers that get up and just purposely pound people and yell at people and tell everybody what's wrong with them. And most of the time, when you have preachers that preach like that, it's because there's something wrong with them. Right? Anybody that consistently and always preaches judgment is because they live under judgment themselves. And so I get it. It's not just about doing things to be edgy. I'm going to say this and be edgy, you know, because it's even happened in the church. You know, we're going, to use, we're going to use phrases and words and we're going to be hip and relevant and we're going to do all these things to reach our culture and what ends up happening is we're no different than our culture. So we have nothing to offer them. If we're not different, we've got nothing to offer that the bar or the group down the road can give them. So I get it. I understand. We do live in a place where everybody is comfortable. Don't, don't hurt my feelings. Don't say anything that bothers me. Don't disagree with my ingrained beliefs that I've had. Don't challenge me to think differently than what I've always thought. And I'm not saying it just happens on one side. It happens all over the place. We throw around the phrase snowflake, but everybody gets their feelings hurt when you start talking about what they believe. So what happens is is the truth gets sacrificed for culturally acceptable speech that is helping no one. And to take a stand for Christian morality, to take a stand for truth, now becomes even scarier because it doesn't fit into the prevailing ideology of our culture. We recognize that. We are at a turning point, folks, and we must make a decision of where we stand and choose to face the opposition that's going to come. If we're going to stand in the church and preach or teach scriptural realities about sin, about sex, about gender, about marriage, about what it means to walk in holiness and purity, about what it means to follow Jesus, about what it means to be a committed Christian, then we want to have to recognize we're not going to be cheered by the world. And so we're going to have to be like Peter said last week in Acts chapter 5, whether it's better to obey God or obey men, you decide. But we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and which we have heard. 
But as Christians, we know who, is real, who really is behind fomenting these fears. Fear is one of the main weapons of the devil. Through fear, he attacks our faith. He works to paralyze us from moving forward because fear is the enemy of faith. It's meant to dissuade us from living in surrendered obedience to Jesus. The enemy will lie to perpetuate fears of inadequacy, inability, or incompetency. The devil will come along and tell you that you're not good enough, that you're not able to do it, that you don't know enough. Who do you think you are? These kind of lies perpetuate these fears. He uses fear to paint irrational pictures of our circumstances and incorrect pictures of God. If he can keep us in fear, he keeps us from growing. And so what the enemy does is he takes your problem and makes it bigger than what it is. He takes your circumstance and always twists it to show you the worst side of it. There are some of you in here that you're not just glass half empty. The glass has got a hole in the bottom of it. There are some of you in here that if you're in a circumstance, it doesn't matter what it is, you're going to find what could possibly be the worst outcome there is. <laughs> are you amening me, Ryan? Or what? <laughs> because that is, that's, that's the way a lot of us can be, right? We get into a circumstance and immediately our mind goes to what could be the worst outcome. And that's, that's what happens in our life. And lots of times the enemy uses that type of thinking, that type of fear to keep us trapped from ever moving forward. David uses this psalm as a way to encourage himself and to encourage us to not live in fear. He declares that he has no reason to fear man or the enemies that surround him. He is even unshaken by the prospect of war. Uh, David declares he won't fear even if he's abandoned by family or he's attacked by false witnesses. He is confident in the fact that fear does not have to control his life. Church, I know this. I know you have fear I know you're going to go through fear. I know you're going to have fearful moments in your life. But the truth of the Word of God says we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be trapped by fear. We don't have to allow our lives to be defined and surrounded by fear. We are the people of God. So David gives us some insights in this ability to overcome the culture of fear, to overcome the attacks of the enemy that are meant to try to scare us the attacks of our culture that tells us don't stand for your faith, don't stand for what you believe in, the politics of fear itself. And so there's three things I want to point out from this that David uses to help himself overcome fear. Number one, remember who God is. Very simple. Remember who God is. Why can David say he will have no fear? He tells us because God is his light and his salvation, because God is the strength of his life. Because he knows that in times of trouble, God is his pavilion and his tabernacle where he can hide. He knows that God is his rock and that his life is set upon that firm, unshaken foundation. Why can David say, I will not fear? It's because he knows who God is. He knows who God is. He longs to be in God's presence. He said, this this one thing that I seek after is to be in the house of God forever that I might inquire in his temple, that I might see the beauty of who God is. I don't want to be anyplace else but God's presence. He says he would have fainted if he hadn't believed 
to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He said, I would have fallen. I would have given up. I would have stepped out of the race. I wouldn't have made it to the end if I hadn't have seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. If I hadn't seen God's goodness operating in my life, I would have fallen. I would have quit. I would have given up. I would have went a different way. But because I have seen God's goodness, because I have experienced God's goodness, because I have seen God's faithfulness, because I live in God's faithfulness, I can keep running. I can keep moving. I'm not going to stop. Huff and puff all you want to, devil. I have seen the goodness of God. Folks, there is nothing that will shatter fear faster than to get a glimpse of the glory of God. Nothing will shatter fear faster than seeing a glimpse of the glory of God. Remember Remember the disciples in the boat, scared to death, Jesus taking a nap, and then when Jesus gets up, tells the wind to shut up. What do they say? Who is this guy? Who is this guy that even the wind and waves obey him? They got a glimpse of the glory of God and their fear was assuaged. Their fear disappeared. Now, of course, Jesus changed the circumstance for them, right? But what I like about that story that we miss many times is that once the storm stopped, the next verse says, and then they reached the other side, right? They were probably in view of the other side. They just couldn't see it through the storm. Jesus calms the storm and they're like, oh, land's right there. We could have got out of the boat and walked in. Right? We're out here screaming and yelling and fighting. Ah, save us! Jesus is like, the, the beach is like three feet away, bro. <laughs> right? And, and, and again, that's how the enemy takes our circumstances and blows them up. You're not going to make it. You're not going to get there. You may as well just quit. And it just takes one more step. One more step of faith. One more moment of belief. One more hand lifted in the air. One more time to decide I'm going to praise God in spite of. One more time. When we remember who God is, how big God is, how powerful God is, how faithful God has been to us, it will instill confidence in our hearts. Forgetting is one of the main reasons why we're not thankful. Forgetting is one of the main reasons why our faith fails. We forget. Right? The Bible says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. When you forget, that's when you get in fear. When you forget, you get in fear. Remember who God is. Number two, remember who you are. David refers to him as God's servant. And as you read this passage of Scripture, God is not just a distant and faraway God. To David, God is my light, my salvation, my rock, my refuge. In other words, there's a personal relationship that David has with God. It goes beyond some type of religious persuasion or religious ideology. This goes beyond just what was instilled in him as a child by his parents. It goes beyond just something that he's been told that he should believe. He has experienced the goodness of God. He has a relationship with God. He has a reality with God that a lot of people didn't have. And because of this, he knew who he was in relationship to God. He sees God even as his parent who will take him up if he is abandoned by his earthly father and mother. Now, as Christians, we all recognize this kind of stuff, but this is actually an awesome revelation to David in Old Testament times. 
Because even Jesus coming along and referring to the Father as Abba brought controversy to the religious leaders. Because Jesus was literally redefining our relationship with God. And nobody can redefine our relationship with God except God. And if Jesus can redefine our relationship with God, then he is God to help you out there. So Jesus, he says, Abba, Father, which Abba means father. It's the Aramaic word for father, but it indicates a personal relationship with father. Some have said it can be translated as daddy. It doesn't really necessarily have that concept in Aramaic, but that's how it would relate to us in English. In English, we're looking at it more as dad, that that one that we're connected with not just through blood but through personal relationship, through respect, through honor, someone that we see, somebody we want to emulate and want to know, someone that we know loves us and protects us and takes care of us, daddy. And so David had this revelation of God, which was not a common revelation for the Jewish people at that time. He recognized his relationship with God went beyond religion. It went beyond ideology. And folks, as Christians, we have a deeper relationship with God than David did. That's what we don't always understand. Like some of us many times say, man, I would like to have been one of the 12 apostles who walked with Jesus. No, you wouldn't have, first of all, right? Because all, were, were, all of them were martyred for their faith except John. So none of you wanted to be one of them. Just stop acting like you did. Right? We get on to Peter because he denied Jesus three times. We've been denying Jesus all the time. Get over it. Right? But we say, man, I'd really like to have been there when Jesus was alive. But the thing is, the apostles actually had a closer relationship with Jesus after he left. How is that possible? By the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because now they weren't just experiencing Jesus in this physical realm. Now they could experience the reality of the love and the grace and the goodness of God in the depths of who they were. Through the power of the Spirit. And that's what we experience. Jesus is just as real in our lives as if he was physically standing here because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost in our lives. By the blood of Jesus, the Bible says, we've been made children of God, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. We are the blessed of God. The promises of God are yes and amen, the Bible says. He is for us and not against us. So, folks, who can stand against us? A lot of our fears melt away when we we remember that we belong to the God of the universe. A lot of our fears melt away when we recognize that it begins with a real relationship. Now, why is it that some Christians still continue to live in fear? Many times it's because there is a disconnect in their relationship with God. And there may be some who are living in fear because they've really never been born again. Right? Because if there's chaos in your heart because of a disconnection with God, it's always going to produce fear. If we are born again, the Bible says if our hearts condemn us not then we have faith in God. We have confidence in God. But if our hearts do condemn us, then we live in fear. We live in the reality of fear. And when we recognize who we are through the blood of Jesus, that I am born again, that I belong to him, I have nothing to fear, what fills our hearts? Peace. Peace is probably the number one fruit of salvation. Peace. 
right? Because all of the turmoil that was there, all of the discontent, all of the fear, all of the chaos that was created by sin has now been replaced with grace. And now our hearts live in peace. So when we know who we are in God, there's a peace that overtakes us. When we know who we are in God, you know what it reminds us of? That this isn't even our culture. This culture of fear, it's not my culture. I belong to a different kingdom. This is not my world. I'm just passing through. I'm not surprised that this world is a mess. I'm not surprised that climate change may burn up this planet one of these days. The Bible says it's going to burn with a fervent heat. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that our world is falling apart. I get it. I'm not surprised that our politicians seem to get worse and worse. It's not my world. I belong to a different culture. So when our hearts are right with God, peace is our inheritance. And the Bible says perfect love will cast out fear. And finally, number three, what do we do to overcome this culture of fear? Talk to your heart. David ends this chapter with a command, with two commands. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. And with that command comes a promise, because there's always a promise with the command. And God will strengthen your heart. If if you will wait on God, and if you'll be of good courage, He will strengthen your heart. It's a command to His listeners, but I believe it was also a declaration He's making to His own heart. He's making a declaration saying, David, wait on the Lord. David, be of good courage. Because if you will, he'll strengthen your heart. He'll bring courage to your heart. Some of you find yourself in a circumstance right now, maybe not of your own making, that's put you in a fearful place, puts you in a place of anxiety, of uncertainty, whether it's in your marriage or your family or your job, your health, whether it's just some situation that you've got to face, the future itself. And you recognize that all things don't seem to be lining up the way that you want them to line up. David reminds you, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. And then he even ends the chapter by repeating it. Wait, I say, (laughs) on the Lord. If you didn't hear me the first time, wait, I say, on the Lord. Folks, God is not shocked by your circumstances. None of you are in a place in your life right now where God is sitting up in heaven going, what do we do next? God is not uncertain. He's not unsure. God is not scrambling around, meeting with angels, trying to figure out what in the world am I going to do with that guy's problem. The steps of a good Lord, good man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Hey, Don, somebody's in the back there, if you could let them in. Do you realize that if your steps are ordered by God and sometimes it takes you through tough times that they were still ordered by God? And so if God ordered your steps, don't you think he knows how to get you where those steps are taking you? Sure he does. Talk to your heart. Sometimes, folks, we need to talk to ourselves. Now, some of you talk to yourselves because you're nuts. Right? But honestly, we do. We need to talk to ourselves. And how we talk, our self-talk, which... A lot of psychologists even talk about this. Our self-talk 
can either exacerbate or perpetuate our fears, or it can assuage or steal our fears. How we talk to ourselves and about ourselves can create either more fear or remove fear. The way we talk to our hearts means that we have to renew our minds with God's word so that we can remind our hearts what we should be actually believing. Right? If we fill our minds with God's word, then that's how we talk to ourselves. We talk to ourselves from the promises of God. We talk to ourselves from the commands of God. We talk to ourselves about the faithfulness and the goodness of God. When we talk to ourselves about that, that reminds our heart of what we should be believing. My circumstances are telling me I should believe this, but this is what God's Word tells me I should believe. It's God's Word, folks, as that song said that we sang, is the final authority. God always has the final say, period. And God's Word tells us that we're not even of this culture and that because of that, we don't have to be defined by our fears, There are a bunch of scriptures about fear. A lot of people have said there's 365 verses about fear not. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but there are a lot of passages of scripture about fear. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has given us not a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you may go. And Peter tells us to cast all of our care upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. The psalmist says in Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The Bible encourages us to not be afraid, to recognize that God is with us wherever we may go, that God is leading us and guiding us, that God is in control, that He is sovereign, that no matter whether the world falls apart among us, He still tells us, be still and know that I'm God. Talk to your heart. Stop talking negatively. Stop talking defeat. Stop talking doubt. Stop talking about all the fear and the uncertainty of politics and culture. And speak the word of God over your life. Speak the word of God. Talk to your heart. And let God's word soak into your spirit. Folks, our culture is surrounded by fear. It perpetuates fear. And standing by faith can be a fearful thing. But God has called us to be courageous. The enemy will use fear to keep us from growing and moving in God. But when we remember who God is, when we remember who we are in Christ, when we remind our hearts of the truth of God's word, then we walk in confidence. So don't be swallowed up by a culture of fear. This place is not our home. The lies of the enemy do not have to define us. I believe as the light of the world that we're called to be, that we are supposed to make an impact on our culture. 
that we are supposed to be concerned about our culture. I believe in voting. I believe in getting your voice heard by casting a ballot. I believe in praying for good candidates and that, that the ones that God wants in power will get there. The Bible commands us to pray for those who are in authority, that we might live quiet and peaceable lives. So I'm not saying that we're supposed to ignore culture, but what I'm saying is, is I don't have to be defined or buried by culture. I don't have to allow fear to rock my life. While the world runs around scared to death that we're all going to die tomorrow or that democracy is going to end because we didn't elect the right person, I recognize I belong to a king who never fails, who never comes short, who's always faithful, who's always good, who's taking care of the situation. And one of these days, I'm going to heaven and getting out of this hole. I have nothing to fear what man can do to me. The worst they can do is take our lives. And then we get rewarded with the greatest thing that we've ever known. What do we have to fear? Nothing, because God is with us. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, we are eternally grateful for the cross, for the resurrection, for the blood of Jesus. We are eternally grateful, O oh God, for your faithfulness to us. And in this Thanksgiving season, we're asking you, Lord, to remind us of who you are, to remind us of who we are, O oh God, and remind us of the truth of your word. That fear would not be the thing that controls us, but that gratefulness and praise and worship would be the definition of our lives. That faith and, and, and hope would define who we are and the direction that we're going in. That peace would rule our hearts in a chaotic, lost, broken, messed up world. And so as we come into this Thanksgiving season, we are grateful, Lord, that we do not have to give in to the culture of fear. We don't have to give in to a society that is lost and broken. We do not have to give in to circumstances that seem to be out of our control. We believe, O oh God, that you are sovereign, that you are good, and that you are faithful. Fill our hearts this morning with your confidence. Fill our hearts with your peace. Fill our hearts with your joy. And Lord, we will be eternally grateful for it in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed here this morning, as we focus our attention on the Lord for just a moment, we're going to close out this service with a time of worship. But as God begins to speak to your heart today, Maybe some of you are sitting in here and you are fearful of what happens in eternity. You're uncertain of where you stand with God. Maybe at one time you had a relationship with Jesus, but you've walked away. You've moved away from that reality. You've moved away from that place. Somewhere down the line, you've lost your faith. You've lost, you lost a heart to follow after God. Something pushed you away. Or maybe you're in this room today and you don't, you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You've never been born again. And the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart right now. And you're saying, Mark, I'm uncertain of where I stand with God. The Bible does tell us it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We recognize that all of us one of these days will stand in judgment before God. And He wants you to know the peace of knowing Him. So if you're in this room today and you're uncertain of where you stand with God and you need prayer, would you just lift your hand up really quickly and say, Mark, that's me. Would you pray for me? God bless you. Anybody else? Pray for me. I need to make things right with God. Anybody else? God bless. I need to make things right with God today. I know it's not always easy to admit things like this, but God's dealing with your heart. Respond to his grace and his love. If you're in this room today and you're a Christian and you're living in fear, fear of the future, fear of your past, fear of a, a failure, fear of uncertainty, you're living in fear, the culture around you has just poured so much chaos on your life, 
you're afraid. You're afraid. And you need God's encouragement today. You say, Mark, that's me. Would you just lift your hand up and say, pray for me? I see all those hands. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. God is faithful. God is good. If you need a miracle in your life today, you need a healing, you need God to touch you, I invite you to come and we'll pray with you. We'll lay hands on you. We'll pray and agree. But at this point in time, as we sing this worship song, I'm going to open this altar. If you want to come and pray, put your fear, your anxieties here to rest. If you want me to pray with you, I'll be more than happy to do so. But don't leave here today carrying these fears, these uncertainties. Let God help you. Let God give you strength. So I invite you, come today. We'll pray. Or come and kneel here today. Put your heart before God. And he'll take care of what you can't.